Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. Well, there's another thing that another officer that I had on the show was saying that there's really no other profession that the entire profession is judged based on the stupidity of the few. And I mean, doctors, it's like when a doctor screws up and amputates the wrong limb or <laughs> yeah, which, which has happened or does a mistake and the patient dies or the rest of the medical profession isn't judged on that. It's that nope. individual. And yet with police and to, to a certain degree, the entire military, but especially police right now, it's like the entire profession, when something like this happens, everybody looks at the 800,000 police officers that are out there or law enforcement officers, if you include the sheriff's departments and everything. And they're like, oh, yeah, they're all bad. We needed to fund them all. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Pick another profession where that's true. And I can't think of one. Now, imagine if you defund the teachers and doctors and you have no teachers and doctors. Honestly, I would like for somebody with common sense to come and tell me that that's the right thing to do. Like you say, you amputated the wrong leg or arm or whatever, and you're not judged by it. But the problem is that we are supposed to be, besides officers, teachers, counselors, doctors, nurses, EMT, parents, judges. So we are supposed to be perfect, perfect. We are not paid enough for what we do, believe it or not. And people say, oh, no, you make a good salary. You have benefits. Trust me. Risking my life, even though I, I was the one who chose that. There's no kind of payment that's going to give my family, my wife, which is a survivor, my kids, the happiness of me being alive. No, no, you can give me a million dollars. But the thing is, it's not only the money, but it's the appreciation for what I do. I feel so good when I hear people, black, white, Latino, and they say, thank you for your services, officer. I really appreciate what you do. I look at them and I say, really? Thank you. And I, and I, and I feel great about it. Because one of the very few people that are appreciating what I do, Jerry, that, that's the way I feel about it. Oh, and, and you should. And frankly, I think law enforcement right now is kind of in the same position as what Vietnam veterans were in when they were coming back from Vietnam. They're coming back and they're just like so underappreciated. And, but I know there are the vast majority of people out there absolutely appreciate what you guys do and the crap that you have to go through every day because whether again some of the guests that i've friends that i've made in law enforcement there's one in particular that he was saying in law enforcement you're dealing with basically on a daily basis every single day you're you're dealing with two types of people either the dregs of society and the people that nobody wants to deal with because they're just not good people or good people that are having the worst day of their life And regardless of which one it is, how you guys respond to that, it takes composure, it takes training, it it takes a level of maturity that most people in society just don't have. And the fact that you can do it for 20, 30 years is, man, hats off to you. Oh, and thank you. Thank you. Well, let me tell you something. Not every person is fit 
to be a police officer. That's completely wrong because a lot of people, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, anybody can be a police officer. I said, really? So one of the things that I was taught, and again, I was a cop in Puerto Rico, in Milwaukee, and then here, right? This The East Coast. And one of the things that I was taught a couple of times in different police academy was, don't take your personal problems to work. And this is what you do. The suit that you have of your personal problems when you come to work, make sure you hang it outside of the door. And then they say, they also told me, when you get back home, the problems that you have at work, that suit with all that problems, leave it outside of your door. Don't take them inside your home. I always kept that in my mind. And I'm like, you know what? It's true. And then the other thing that we have is that, for instance, with the Memphis, Tennessee, I was listening to this guy who was a mentor for the main police officer that I guess not quite confirmed, but it's on a way that it had to do with domestic violence and stuff like that, that he asked that guy for help in the past because he was going through help to some problems. People tend to understand that the family circle that we come from is going to dictate for the most part who you are, how you're going to be acting in the future. And believe it or not, a lot of these officers, they come from a dysfunctional family. And my question is, what are you as a chief of police, as a mayor doing to make sure that the background investigation is done properly, not just to fill up numbers, because that's the problem that we're facing these days. A lot of them is like rushing into, oh, yeah, we're going to bring, we have plenty of officers here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And now we hire another ones and stuff like that. Well, let me tell you something. There was a department at East Coast that in the 80s, a lot of officers with felony convictions were in the department mm-hmm. and the surrounding areas with felony convictions. You imagine that, Jared? I mean, think about it. So you hire a criminal to be a police officer. And then, believe it or not, it reflected later, years later, because of their behavior, because you're still not out with that criminal mentality. So, you know, going back to what I was saying is that where you came from, the way you were raised, the discipline, responsibilities, And then whether you took seriously what your parents told you and what you learned in school, because it used to be different. So these days you got 20 something years old police officers. We have a lot of young sergeant, lieutenants and captains that trust me, trust me, they're book smart. That's all it is. They don't have any street experience. And they come in thinking, oh, I have a master's degree. I can just join the police and do this. And and that creates a problem, believe it or not. Not saying that the education that you have in a master's degree is bad. No, by no means. Because I'm, I'm working on my master right now in theology. That doesn't make me better than anybody else. But however, it's what you can contribute to in a positive way to the police department and how much experience you have, how much have you lived, where, the neighborhood, the environment, have you been exposed to different things? Because if you haven't been exposed to certain things, it's going to be harder for you to deal with those kind of situations. Oh, yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I'll tell you that some of the worst officers I ever met in the Army were West Point grads. And, and it was just because <laughs> they had this attitude that, you know, hey, I went to West Point, so I'm the best. I don't need to be questioned. And you're just like, what? Get out of here, man. <laughs> it's like, 
And I think, especially in today's world, there's a big misunderstanding between education and schooling. And just because you have a high level of schooling doesn't make you educated. And there's far too many people that think that, well, I have a degree or I have a, a label behind my name and it doesn't matter what it is, a PhD or an MD or lawyer, whatever, what, Esquire, ESQ, I guess. Is. Yeah, yeah. Most of those guys are worthless too, but education can come from a lot of different areas. And part of it is street smarts. Part of it is schooling, just basic schooling. But the education that you get from your parents, from senior officers, training, all of that has to come in to play. And the more I learned about, especially this Memphis case, I just think most of those officers either didn't have the number of years required. I don't know if they weren't mature enough, what their background was, but clearly some of them were having a really bad day. It was like the perfect storm where it all met up to it at one point. And the sad thing is at least six of them, the five officers and the, unfortunately the victim, their entire lives are over now. And just over what? Well, one of those things is you mention a word that is very important, being mature, maturity. And the other thing is that if you have a specialized unit composed of young officers, a sergeant, an official, a supervisor should be working with them all the time. I worked in a specialized unit before. I was in a drug unit, what we call like a warrant squad as well. And again, intelligence ranch gang unit. Oftentimes, I was like working on my own or with my partner, doing a lot of things. But one of the things that I did was report to my supervisor things that were not like, mm, whatever. And then he'll tell us before that, hey, this is what's going on. You guys are going to be exposed to this. This is a problem. I expect from you the best. If there's any problems, you're going to give me a call. By the way, I'm going to be out there on the street. And sometimes he'd be out there on the street. But then later on, Another that supervisor retired, and we have a very young, a very young sergeant, very smart. And he remembers that when he met me the first time, it was when we got called because they stopped like a whole bunch of gang members, like 12 of them. So, okay, call Intel, especially Medina. So I got to the scene, I got there, and he's like, okay, this is, I said, let me see the names. I saw all of them. It were like 18 street gang members. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. That's his name. That's his name. That's his name. So identify everybody. That one was deported. That one was locked up and whatever. And then they got a gun out of the guys. And he says that eventually, he was a rookie officer. Eventually, he became a sergeant. He's like, I remember that that day when I met you, I was like, wow, this guy knows his stuff, whatever. I was working with minimum supervision, but I was already like sort of like a veteran, but I knew how to act because I was mature enough. But later on, when he came on board with us, I told them, I say, this is what's going on. This is what you need to do. You need to get on a vehicle with us and I can show you around. This is how we operate and stuff like that. He never did that. And in my opinion, that was completely wrong. I like the guy a lot. We have a good relationship, but I criticized him about it. So if you have, and thank goodness that he had me and some other ones that was veterans or mature or whatever, but if you have a group of young guys, how can you let him be on the street doing whatever the heck they want. I also saw, and I don't necessarily believe everything I see on uh, YouTube or anything, whatever, but I was listening to the interview of one of the guys 
three or four days prior to the Memphis death of Tyree Nichols, that the guy was also stopped at a gas station. He was pulled out of the car. And, you know, how they say, oh, yeah, who's going to take the drug case? He's got some drugs or whatever. It's like, oh. Then he mentioned attorney. He mentioned different things. And then later on, he said, nah, ha, ha, we're playing around with you. Maybe somebody said, damn, you know, this is not right. He mentioned a lawyer. Maybe they got scared. But that goes to tell you that they had an MO modus operandi that they use all the time. And again, with no supervision. And again, young guys, again, they're egos. And then one thing that we were, there was including two lieutenants, three sergeants, and like 10 officers, we were talking about it here. And one thing that we say was, we all agree, but what was the reason why they stopped him? Reckless driving? It's not showing anything. We don't have any evidence of the reckless driving. Why did they stop this guy? He went running and they pursued that. It had to be a reason why they acted the way they acted against this guy. It's not normal, Jerry. And then it's like, well, based on our experience, you know, it's got to be, it's got to be. Then later on, the news of that his baby mama was dealing with Tyron Nichols and stuff. I mean, that's not confirmed. However, we looked at each other and say, we know they had to do something, but we got to wait to see if that is confirmed. But that goes to tell you, that goes to tell you the, the experience, the level of maturity, and then the... And I keep repeating that minimum supervision and the freedom to give you so you can feel that you, you're Superman, you can do whatever you want out there and nothing is going to happen to you. Well, I would also say what you brought up earlier about hanging up the uniform before you go into the house. Clearly, they were conflating both of those. They were bringing if what you're saying is true and it pans out to that's actually what the cause was, then they're bringing personal issues into their work and then using the position of their work to justify basically this thuggery. And man, that'll just be mind boggling if that's actually the cause. But the one, I understand that policing in your own neighborhood is super beneficial because you know everybody, you know the streets. There's all sorts of benefits of that, but there's also some negatives. Because then your professional life and your personal life kind of get intertwined there. And there's pros and cons to everything. And certainly, if that's the case, then, yeah, that, geez, what a mess. And so let's shift gears here just for a few minutes. Since that, since you became, what, you said close to 30 years ago when you first started policing. But let's, let's just narrow this down. And, and oh, by the way, <laughs> I, I don't want to disparage the Milwaukee PD because it wasn't Milwaukee that had all these problems. It was Minneapolis PD. Sorry. I apologize to all my friends there in Wisconsin. So at Minnesota, there's so many fantastic people up there. I can't believe that they tolerate some of the ridiculous things that happens out of Minnesota now, but and especially Minneapolis. But all right. Yeah. Anyway, since you've been in the United States and especially as a police officer in various places around the U.S., how has the attitude and the policing in general, just the policing practices, how has that changed from when you first came in to now? It has changed from A to Z completely. I'm sure you remember that being a military person and a police officer, and I have to talk about it because I was, I've been in both, and you are a veteran, we both veteran of the military, army, not Marines or whatever, but, you know, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, well, I, we I, just were, call all, I, I, I call all my Marine buddies uh, speed bumps. 
So it's big bombs. Oh yeah, because oh my gosh, whatever. We all important when it comes to the military. We all important. Somebody has to do your paperwork. Somebody has to do your medical, etc. Anyways, so it had changed from A to C because we were look up on like when I remember when I was younger, I looked at a police officer and I was like. Wow, look at that guy, you know, and I, if a police officer would ask me something, I'm like, yes, sir, no, sir, or whatever. But of course, my mom will tell me, you disrespect the police officer. They're going to give you what we call today customer service. And then at home, I would get the second part of customer service. Anyways, so, but it had changed dramatically because before, let's put it this way, we were allowed to be police officer and enforce the law without a lot, a lot of criticism. And we were always been, one thing that has always been the same is we always been problem solvers. But it had changed a lot because my first experience with being a police officer was in 1987 in Puerto Rico. And I remember when everybody saw that I became a police officer, like, oh, Eliseo, police officer, oh my gosh, nobody can mess around with him anymore, whatever. And of course, my friends were not going to be the same, but they, the bad ones kind of kept their distance and they respected me. Then when I was in Milwaukee, years later, it was like, I used to be a juvenile probation officer slash intake specialist, and then I became a cop. And they saw me and I was like, wow. And I still would get that respect. People would call me for help. And we have this stuff in the neighborhood. And the way we were looked at, it was like completely different. And I remember I was living in Milwaukee when the Jeffrey Dahmer situation happened. In fact, let me tell you this. I used to live six houses away from Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. But I went to a club and a friend of mine civilian told me that we have met him there or whatever, but I don't remember. And of course, I didn't deal with him. Okay. I'm here in my life. <laughs> Some of my coworkers was like, yeah, you lying to us because you were the one who escaped from him. And it's like, no, 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 no. Anyways. And I even met those officers that got fired as a result of not intervening with that kind of problem. They also got their jobs back subsequently. Right. So, Police was still admired and respected. Yes, we had some problems because Milwaukee always been very segregated. And there was a lot of racism when it came to dealing sometimes with the black community, white office and stuff like that. And then when I jump into the East Coast, first of all, the East Coast, they have more interracial relationship. And I'm talking about black cops with white female officers and getting married and everything. And, and it was different than being in the Midwest. However, when I compare back in Puerto Rico in 1987 to now, it's a big jump, a big change. And let me share this real quick. I was doing a conference thing, gang and witness presentation, and they say, yeah, Detective Medina is here, whatever, blah, 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 from the gang unit, whatever. And some guy, they started looking at me, and I'm like, hey, I'm a friendly officer, I'm a good cop. And I, I know somebody says like, yeah, like those that kill the black guys. And I'm like, who say that? But they shut up. So I was like, oh my gosh, I was not expecting a ninth grader to say that. So that goes to tell you how the community have been impacted on this. So back in the days, a kid will never make a comment like that to a police officer. I don't care where. Thanks for joining us. 
Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.